Kia ora, I'm Jane. And I'm Sophie. Welcome to A TARDIS of One's Own. A queer feminist journey through time and space and you who. Welcome to another thrilling episode of A TARDIS of One's Own. Brought to you from our secret office that you do not know where it is. We're having an important meeting during work hours. <laughs> Sophie legit just left and went, you need to dial everyone in as she walked outside to uh, really cement the subterfuge. I went, because I was going to say, I was having a wee while you set everything up. But then I realised I couldn't say set everything up. So then I had to just be like, dial them in. <laughs> because want- our manager is actually close to this. I don't think the office is soundproofed yet. No. And I, I think our new manager might stick his head in here to say goodbye when he leaves for the day. Yeah. So when he does that, we'll be like... Oh, and with the online channels, I feel like maybe there's some room for improvement with the with the data. Okay, so we need everyone to play along. <laughs> you get asked questions about this podcast, and 100% happens in our personal time. And is, does not mention anything to do with anything. Ever. Great. Okay, now we've got that out of the way. How's your timeline? How's our lives? Um, so it's been a hot minute, hey, because we, yeah, we have, life happened. We missed some, we missed yeah. a, a stuff. You moved. I moved house. Yeah. And we're coming up on Christmas. We're coming up hard. We're recording this mid-December. Yeah. So there's probably going to be disruption, guys. Our, our release schedule is, is fluid. It's agile. Yeah. And um, I, we appreciate your patience. 7 to 15 of you who listen regularly. Yeah. We my partner. It. Hey. <laughs> Love you, babe. Lame. <laughs> So yeah, anyway, um, Christmas. Yeah, how, yeah, how have you, how have you been? Oh, you know, just the fucking thriller minute, isn't it? And I don't know, I'm just tired and it's hard to care and it's really hard for me because in my particular role, this is our busiest time of the year. The next two to three months is really important for yeah. my work group and it's hard when it comes at the end of the year when the will to live is very... Very, very low. low. The will to work, not the will to live. The will to yeah. live, in fact, is high. That's the problem. Because I want to be out in the sunshine, and I want to be frolicking, and I want to be baking Christmas cookies, and I want to be watching Christmas movies and having a great time. Yeah. I do not want to be in my office sending emails to people who annoy me. But here we are. I know. I totally agree. My have books, and they're not going to read themselves. Yeah, 100%. I just what I want to be doing. I don't want to be doing this. With I've got... Silly little email. This time of year, no one gives a no fuck. No one gives a fuck. We all know. Yeah. Everything's like, let's circle back next year. Fuck it. This morning, chats between two colleagues early in the morning was, what's the expectation really about kind of being in the office next week? And, you know, what workload-wise? And I was like, the expectations are non-existent. No one's going <laughs> to give a fuck. Half of us will be on leave anyway. So just you do you, boo. No one's going to be like... Where are you? Some people might. I don't know. But maybe where are you, but not like... Yeah, I don't know. I'll come in because it's quite nice to fuck around in the office sometimes. Yeah. But probably not if no one else not, is not coming in. the whole in week. At the yeah. End, at the tail end, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I do need to do some writing, so maybe being in a Ooh. quiet office will be good for me. True, it's going to make you... I mean, not work-related writing. No, well, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, yeah, that's actually a good point. It's kind of, it'll be kind of become like a retreat. Yeah. My goal is to have all my work work done tomorrow. So tomorrow is going to have to be a busy day because today was a fuck around mm. day. I mostly just sent mean emails to other people. <laughs> but that's okay. It I checked to... them and they weren't even that mean. Compared to how mean you could have been, they were like 40%. I got a one line reply Rude. saying, yeah, we're on the same page, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, are we fuckers. on the same page? Because nah. that initial email did not suggest that we were on the same page. 
That's why I had to send a very, just to be clear, email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me be clear. Anyway, that's enough nonsense. Let's yep. talk about the episode. Yes, let's so, go. We watched episode seven of season four, The Unicorn and the Wasp, where the Doctor and Donna arrive at an English country estate in 1926 and meet renowned murder mystery writer Agatha Christie. The Doctor immediately realises the importance of the date. It's the eve of when Christie famously disappeared without a trace, only to emerge ten days later claiming to have no memory of where she'd been or what she'd done. A dinner party soon ends in murder, and it's up to the Doctor, Donna, and Agatha to solve the mystery. Yeah, Victor? Mm, Yes. Resoundly, yes. Sorry, this desk is is very wobbly, and it's throwing me off every time I lean an elbow on it. Stop leaning on it. Well, I need to... What, I just hover my arms? Yeah, just like, sit upright. Jesus fucking Christ. Do a Roman Roy. Yeah. <laughs> Roman Roy. Arms on hips. Anyway, yes. Pass the big deal. Fine colours. Overall vibe. I really like it. I said, in capital letters in my notes, a romp. A romp. I really, I really liked romp. it. Period set, obviously, because, you know, we alternate. Period. <laughs> Modern day Cardiff or London. Mm. Futuristic with a side jay budget. Side jay? Side jay. Why don't we say it side jay? Side jay. We can make better things. Side jay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cool. So it's my week, it topic is. week. And interesting. I went with this kind of wider discussion topic theme, not easy to put in one sentence, but this pressure on women to be problem solvers mm. and kind of fixes, specifically thinking of the episode. Agatha, at this point, in the 20s, she's written a few books, nowhere near her full oeuvre, but she's written a few books and she is well known. And so when murder mystery starts happening in real life, in the plot of the episode, they immediately turn to her and they're like, Agatha, murder mystery, you can solve it. And she's like, huh? I'm a writer. I just write pretend ones. Yeah. And so then they're all turning to her, expecting her to be able to solve this and do this thing and like do this work for them. And then it's interesting because her immediate reaction is one of lack of capability. Mm. When she objectively plots very good murder mystery novels, she's immediately assuming like, oh, no, but that's not applicable to like an actual thing. Like, I'm not capable. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, yeah. Which again, I would say is, is, for many reasons, a common thing of the female experience. Yeah. To be like second guessing yourself, not feeling equipped to handle situations that, let's face it, men who are far less experienced than you would have no issue wading in on and acting like they're as you say johnny big potatoes yeah johnny fucking big potatoes thinking they're hot shit storming in there and we see this in the workplace all the time we have Mm -hmm. loads of colleagues even colleagues in senior management who will often go i don't know what i'm doing i don't know i'm not i shouldn't be the one doing this and you're like but you have the experience you have the know-how it's just about backing yourself and we certainly have colleagues as well who often just play down that they're not smart enough going Mm. like i'm not i'm not the smart one i'm not intelligent enough to be doing this and it's like no why are you doing this? Like, why have you internalized this message around femininity in particular, I think, and intelligence and capability? Yeah. I think it really intersects with pe- perfectionism too. Yeah. That like, if you do something and if you make yourself stand out as a woman, you better do it fucking right. Yeah. And if you're not perfect, you're opening yourself up to like, oh, well, why did you even try if you don't know what you're doing? And this is often what people yeah. say as well, um, women of colour, they talk about when you get a position of power, you have to be perfect because you're representing not only women, but people of colour as well. So you're held to even a different standard yeah. where it's like, a well, higher standard. if you don't do well, then they'll never give other people opportunities again. They'll never give another woman of colour an opportunity mm. because you messed up. And sometimes I think people are set up to fail in this fact. I think about... Where they know that they're going to get flack for something. So they yeah. hire this woman 
to wear that and then when she inevitably quits it's kind of like well we're not doing that again because it went badly it's like you Mm. tap someone in just to let them fail on purpose so that it absolves you from having to do that again in the future which is fucked when there's this mindset of like there's limited space for women especially women of color people Mm. of color and it's like well you have a board of like eight white men and then one woman yeah and then it's like well there's just one spot for you so yeah and then any criticisms like wow we've got and that's that's not how it should be you know like yeah and you can't expect one person to be representative of entire communities either like that is fucked up as well um but we're sort of straying from the the yeah we are yeah we are so this idea that kind of coming from the angle too like wider in a sense of like talking about this like kind of feminism angle that women are often expected to be like emotional mediators Mm. like practical caregivers and generally kind of like fixers so like you look at this in the home and like that mother role of like dad's there for more fun things or the discipline um but then mum is like meant to be kind of papering over the cracks keeping the household running Mm -hmm. like doing all of that like problem solving yeah 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 yeah. it's interesting and that definitely plays a role as well i think when it comes to emotional well-being in the workplace too like it's often women who have to be like the party organizers doing yeah, the social events jesus yeah preparing the morning teas knowing people's birthdays getting the cakes doing all that sort of nonsense oh my god all that shit yeah, yeah we see that in the office fuck nah yeah and i think you get called out as well when you're not doing that right for being too if you're a woman I yeah mean, like yeah. me who is too bullshit and not traipsing around people's feelings perhaps sometimes to the detriment of other people um but you know there's this expectation that you would manage that and like it's weird when there's like you face more negative feedback if you're not like that and you're a woman and i'm sometimes sit there and i think you wouldn't be giving me this feedback about my approach or about my tone if i was a man but because I'm a woman, you expect me to be more softly, softly in how I approach things and more considerate of people's emotional well-being. Yeah. But even, like, in my friends group, you see this, right? Like, I have a friendship group, a uh, WhatsApp group with, like, a huge variety of people, different ages, men, women, whatever. And often when it comes to organizing catch-ups, it will always be one of the female members of the chat who will be like, we should catch up. When are you mm. free? Who does the organizing? Who does the booking of the... It's never the men who step up. The men are very quick to be like, we should catch up, but they're not going to make any effort yeah. to organize it. Yeah, and then that emotional, again, like kind of to some degree labor, especially at like mental load, mm. then falls to women to be, yeah. Well, just keeping it all in your head, right? Like keeping all of that information in your head, knowing what needs to be done, knowing the schedules of your family's calendars. Even if you think about, I mean, we're not parents, but thinking about, kids coming home being like i have to be something for book week and i have to have cupcakes for this and i have to be in a Mm. play and i need this and that and it's usually the mum who has to pick up that organization of that it's usually mums who are pulling the extra hours gluing sequins to things you know i just based on what i see of my friends lives and you know i've got a friend as well i predominantly see this through her instagram stories but she's forever doing things like she runs quite a big team she's got a lot of stuff she makes them lots of gift bags and stuff but she'll be up until 3 a.m making gift bags for her staff like her husband who co-owns the business with her he's not helping with that yeah that's interesting yeah Mm. it's a never-ending gender role thing though isn't it it's the classic women are nurturers they just naturally find themselves in these roles and maybe we should say like i feel like our former manager was actually quite into this space because you know he loved 
I guess, emotional. Like, he liked getting involved in his employees' lives. He loved hosting them for events. He loved organising get-togethers. Yeah, he did. But I do think that there was a vibe, like, there's a couple of times we were at his house for work things. Like, he'd host us at his house quite regularly. And then... I think I got a vibe that it was sometimes relatively last minute to his wife. Oh, yeah. Like, there's an expectation of, like, telling his wife, oh, we're hosting, you know, 15 of my team this Friday. And she's like, okay. And he always said that she really enjoyed hosting as well, but I never really got that vibe No, not at all. (laughs) And he would always be like, we love hosting, do we? I always felt like we were overstaying our welcome. Yeah. Yeah, because it was never quick. No, and we were... It was never sober either. No. And yeah, and his was the interesting thing of like, he was very much the extrovert manager of an introvert dominant team. Mm. And so I think that he felt like he kind of had to be the one to make us like, get out of our shells. Yeah. Because that was what was expected and what needed to happen because of his model of how a workplace should be, which was fucked. Like, we don't Mm. need to get out of our shells. shells. (laughs) We're doing great work. Like, that's good enough. But I think, yeah, he just did not like that, that we weren't that social. But I think I prefer that because he sort of forced it to happen through sheer will of his own <laughs> yeah. to what I think happens now when, and you know, predominantly female-led now, mm-hmm. where people organize social events and then there's no impetus to carry that through. So they organize it and then we turn up and then everyone stands around awkwardly and it's like, why don't people talk? And I'm like, you've made no effort to make this un- less uncomfortable. Yeah. Whereas with our former manager through sheer force of personality. You had no choice yeah. but to partake. And you got to talk amongst yourselves or is this going to come and talk at you? Yeah. So and just I kinda, get on with it. I really preferred that to kind of this whole, we must have social events, but there's no real thought further than that. So the social event is organized and then everyone just stands around. Yeah. With, yeah. as my mum would say, their mouth full of teeth doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. That's less of a... A feminism question and more of a personality introvert extrovert question. Whether that's even a real thing, because I've seen some science recently that suggests that's not a real thing. So fight the binaries, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, I think there's definitely like that. That theme is coming through strongly in this episode. That they're leaning on Agatha because she has this expertise, and so they're like, "Why aren't you doing something about it?" Like, yeah, she feels very out of her depth. Mm-hmm. And she's going through her own emotional shit as well. And that's another Dude, thing. Dude, it's fucking rough. Another like element to this question that you've posed, right? Like the pressure and expectation of women to be problem solvers despite their own issues and their own baggage that they might be carrying. Like in the workplace or even as mothers, like you can't afford to bring that to the problem that you're trying to solve. I've just watched Love Actually recently, mm. as I do every Christmas. And Emma Thompson goes through her horrific heartbreak because of Alan Rickman's nonsense. Yep. She just has to park that and, like, pretend that she's okay and take her kids to the Christmas pageant and, like, have this conversation with her husband where she's like, you've made my life a laughingstock too, while at the same time not letting her kids see that. Like, that is a huge burden that I think falls predominantly to women. Because men, again, are sort of allowed... I don't know. They get a bit of a more of a free pass because they don't have to hold the family together the way that mothers are expected to. Yeah. Yeah, like, maybe just more... Because it is that. It is that expectation of, like... That, you know, the primary caregiver is the mother, especially traditionally, is the person filling that mother role. And so if they're not there and doing that, then it's very much looked upon badly. Yeah. And I think you can sort of apply this to this, to Agatha's situation as well, because her marriage is falling apart, right? Yeah. Like that is what yeah, she's yeah, going yeah. through. Yeah. 
and how that was a failure on the woman's part, especially back then. Like, mm. you know, the men aren't really seen to be doing anything wrong. It's the women who weren't good enough in the marriage to keep it working. Yeah, well, and this is like, I'm pretty sure that it kind of touches on this episode, but basically like her first husband had an affair and said he didn't want to be married to her anymore. Yeah. And yeah, it's like well known, the episode touches on it, that Agatha disappeared for 10 days. Like she was a well-known celebrity. The press yep. covered it. She yep. just vanished. Because she probably had a low-key, like... Breakdown. Yeah, absolutely. Who knows what she did for that time and always claimed that she had ongoing amnesia from it and never knew, but... How much of that is true? How much of that is true? Yeah, absolutely. She just needed some fucking time out and not to have an extremely public... Like, we see it nowadays as well. This is 100 years ago. Yeah. 100 years ago. But we see it nowadays. Like, you're having... 100 years oh. <laughs> Why did you say that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue. Um, but people who go through very public breakdowns of relationships sophie turner and joe jonas yeah absolutely and they're living it out personally and publicly and press then just as now are unforgiving assholes mm. and will not let you grieve without trying to take pictures of you in that grief yeah and write horrible stories about you where a friend close to the family or a friend mm. close to a the source. source close to the yeah, oh, and it's like you've just made this person up. Yeah, you. You have not. made this person up. This person does not exist. It's, when it's an anonymous source close to the couple, yeah. no, I'm no, just no. like you have made this up. It's like their cleaner's cousin, yeah. who's like, well, my cousin said when she was cleaning her house. I just don't even think they bother. I just like they, I need a quote. I'll just make it up. I don't believe that they're real people. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't. Show me. Like I'm sorry, but what repercussions person. are there for like women's magazines to make up people? There's none. Yeah, that's true. No one's fact-checking that. Because you can just journalistic the fallback no, not is releasing my, protect sources. Yeah, I'm not revealing my sources. Well. But for Agatha in real life, and, I mean, hopefully the future of this fictional Doctor Who Agatha, she meets another man, her second husband, and has a very, very long marriage to him that mm. ends with her death. Mm. So, uh, yeah, she, she comes out of it. And, and does well, but it's fucking rough, man. To have a second marriage back in those days, unheard of. Yeah, and her husband, her second husband, Max Malowan, who's a famous archaeologist, was 13 years younger than her. Hey, get it, yeah. Agatha. So, yeah, and she joined him on heaps of digs. Yeah, that's she why like, loads of her later books were like archaeology books. Yeah, yeah, very strong ancient focus. Murder and Mesopotamia. This is my cool history fact, which I've loosely fact-checked, but it might be bullshit but I like to believe it which is like quite later on in her career she loved to incorporate that knowledge she had of through his work and her work alongside him like she liked to incorporate that into novels like you said and relatively like later on in her career she was writing a book and she wanted to include some stuff around Mesopotamian ancient Mesopotamian pottery so she went to someone she knew in the field to be like who's you know the international expert right now on Mesopotamian pottery you need to talk to them and this guy was like Agatha, it's you. Amazing. <laughs> like, you have done all this work in the field. Like, you've done all the, the research alongside your husband. Like, you're the expert. Like, <laughs> she really gave a shit about her research. Yeah. And you re- you know that in her books, too. They're cool. They're grounded. They're not, like, you know, control out, delete the scene or... Yeah. And it could be anywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's awesome. Which is why they've stood the test of time, right? Like, Doctor mm-hmm. Ghost or makes a point of saying that in this episode. You know, people keep reading her books, even a hundred bazillion years later yeah they work i mean like some things obviously some of the colonialism aspects obviously problematic but they were written in the 20s and i think yeah when you take that cultural element out of, of their it, time yeah yeah and they're still being adapted 
Like yes. we had recent ones come out with Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, everyone loves a fucking period adaptation of hundred years ago. <laughs> oh, yep. And so then the story is based around Agatha and her solving this real life murder mystery. But we also have the kind of a interesting subplot, two subplots. One being the sci-fi one, yeah, which is the vespiform giant wasps and how they came to be yeah. with a colonial link. Yeah. But the other one is this unicorn of the show's title, this jewel thief. Yeah. Who's a very working class woman who's managing to get into these circles because she's pretending to be one of them and then like, you know. Getting in and robbing them. Yeah, no one could suspect just... a woman, right? Or a rich, a rich young woman. Which is one of my favourite, favourite tropes. And I will say this, my favourite TV show when I was a kid was a cartoon adaptation of The Three Musketeers anthropomorphized dogs playing the three musketeers dogtanian is its english name i watched it i loved it i loved it i my mum's actually bought me the dvd so i can watch it whenever i want and i fucking love it but one of the the second season plots is that this princess comes to stay at the french court at the same time that a mysterious jewel thief appears and the the princess is the jewel thief and this is one of the endearing things of my life i just fucking froth the story about <laughs> a woman actually just robbing, like yeah, going out yeah. there and being a badass. Like, it's just so good. And like, this plays perfectly into that role. Whereas this woman just faking away into it and then robbing them blind because fuck the rich. Yeah. And yeah, interesting again, as you mentioned, that colonial element, which we've sort of seen them touch upon in that werewolf episode as well, where they talked about the, right, yeah. the yeah. Koinor diamond. And now again, we've got this. We were in We India. were fucking about in India where we were not yeah. supposed to be. And then we encountered this life form and then we gave a baby up for adoption and hope no one would know and it was the reverend all along not the butler no funny the unicorn the jewel thief played by a young felicity jones who has like turned up in a lot of other stuff since Mm, as well mm, mm. yet again training ground for british actors yeah definitely so we're just going to crack on into random ops i think yeah probably I thought there was such lovely Cluedo moments. <laughs> yeah. A lead pipe. Prefer the peach in the library with a lead pipe. No, literally, I've written down strong Cluedo energy killed by a wasp with a lead pipe. <laughs> Lots of lovely little Agatha Christie references as well. Like when they go, why don't they ask? And then heavens, you know, it's like really cute. Like just little Easter eggs on there. It's very clever. It is. It is. Yeah. I think it's. A perfect example of a one episode story. Yeah. Like they haven't dragged it out. There's a lot going on in there. Like there's the whole Agatha thing, the her history, mm. what we know of like the real Agatha Christie, everyone kind of fangirling over her when she turns up, then the whole multiple murders, yeah. as well as the jewel thief thread and the giant alien wasps thing. Yeah. They could so easily have made that a two app and like yeah. really filled it out, but they didn't. And it's so it, it's really pacey. It is really pacey and it is funny as well. It's like, mm. you know, that moment where he's got the arsenic poisoning and it's really physical yeah. comedy because he's just like, ah. It's like surreal. I've written so dramatic, surreal lol. Harvey Wallbagger. <laughs> yeah, and the classic murderer reveal scene. Everyone yeah. in a room. And Donna, style. Donna cracks me up in that scene because she's like, so she did it. So he did it. And the doctor <laughs> is just like, no. Stop! You have to wait until she's finished talking. So she didn't do it. So she did do it. I never know why the murderer doesn't, at the beginning of this, realise where everything's going to sneak out. Like, don't hang around. Just waiting to see how well they cover it up. They're like, well, maybe I could get away with it. Mm. Yeah, some great period language. Ruffians. No one says ruffians anymore. No. A casual Charlemagne reference. Yeah. And then he'd been kidnapped by an insane computer. What? Yeah. 
Cool. What? Yeah, maiden. It's another another word that we don't hear very often. Maiden. maiden. And the plucky young girl who helps you out. And Donna's like, ah, what? Oh, a B reference. I didn't know to B reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think Bs are going to be important later in the season. Very gay son. Yeah. Oh, but he has to hide it. I know. I know. And the dad being like, no children, unlikely there will be any, you know, like. Pointed. Yeah. Turns out, didn't need a wheelchair all along. Yeah. The old guy, he was playing the wheelchair card to retain his wife. I do like... Nice bit of manipulation. I like that reveal as well where the doctor's going around and they're doing the, you know, the murder mystery scene. Yeah. And then it turns out everyone has a secret and he's like, cool, didn't know about that, but sure. (laughs) Yeah, and then he's like, I know I've been pretending I can't walk. And everyone's like, what? No, not that. But like, (laughs) okay, cool. Like, go off. (laughs) You reveal yourself. Um, Yeah, the whole... I I will say that they did well to make such a good pacey app that feels cohesive with the sci-fi plot being a giant fucking killer wasp. I mean, it's surreal. It is surreal as fuck. And especially like how no one in the episode, maybe apart from Donna, is really embracing how surreal it is. Like the wasp woman who gave birth to the wasp son (laughs) at one point said, I loved him so much it didn't matter that he was a giant wasp. I wrote giant wasp lover. Because like the... You know, when she fell in love with the Vespa form and it revealed itself to be a giant wasp, she was still like, oh, fucking yeah. on board. Mm, yeah. Whereas I would be like, ah! getting the Mortine out of the cup. Yeah. Oh my God, Mortine. Yeah, that is wild. And I love that Donna's like a giant wasp and she comes out and the doctor's like, oh, wasp. And she's like, no, I mean a wasp that is flipping giant. <laughs> and the giant stinger just like, you see, you see? Yeah, 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 which was good. Because I thought that they were going to do a, ooh, sneaky, sneaky, only one person has seen the wasp, no one believes it. It's going to yeah. take 25 minutes for us to get. But, like, straight away, the stinger got left behind. Wasp went out the window. That is an interesting thing, though, about women being dramatic. Yeah. Could have read into that. The doctor being like, oh, Donna. And I mean, yeah. not as prone to hysteronics. Fuck me, yes. <laughs> but also, yeah, then he's just immediate confirmation. Yeah. She's, I mean, Donna, yet again. Okay, well, let's zoom to, to the end where she drowns the wasp. <laughs> yeah. But then straight away the doctor's like, why? Why did you do that? I'm like, dude, you're the one that often, like... It murders things. Yeah, and he really petitions for, no, you don't understand. Like, this thing is very bad. We have to go hard. You have to make the tough decisions, Donna. Yeah. And then she does that. And then he's like, but Donna, you're humanity. Yeah, because he doesn't want anyone else to do it. It's only he no, who exactly. has the right to make that decision. Because he's fucking Johnny Big Potato. <laughs> he's the Time Lord. And yeah, well. And maybe he doesn't want his companions to be corrupted in the way that he has. That right? ship like, sailed. Yeah. He's fucked them up, well and truly. And before they get in the TARDIS, it's on him. Yeah, there's, it's weird. I don't like it when he's... I mean, this is why he's very much a flawed character, etc., etc. He's definitely not perfect. What was I watching where someone was killing someone and they were like, no, don't do it. Once you've done your first kill, you can't go take it. I think it was our flag means death. Because there's this whole thing about people who think that they can protect other people, but it's not up to you. It's not up to you to make that decision for other people, right? Like, Mm. she has her own agency and she can make her own decisions. I thought Donna was good in this episode. She didn't annoy me as much as she normally does. She was good foil for the doctor, good comedic, Pairing. I think because it's even though it's a serious episode, it's more funny than other episodes. It was like, oh yeah, no, it's funny, and but in an interesting, yeah, in a way where it's not kind of like slapsticky, yeah, like too. Oh, what's the word? Derivative, I suppose. It's smart 
comedy. And I think because having Agatha there is kind of a foil as well, because yeah. she is playing it very straight, because she doesn't have the same background that the others do, right? Yeah. Like the other two do. Yeah, that actress is great. She shows up as, like, kind of side parts and lots of this. Mm. She looks very period actressy. She does. She de- I never seen her in, a, like, a contemporary thing, but she's brilliant. I don't even know what her name is. I feel like she's been Google in it. Downton Abbey or something. Yeah, she's, she's definitely been in other... If she hasn't been in other Christie adaptations, I'll eat my own boot. Oh, we're going to be fact-checking that yeah. <laughs> I love the line when Agatha calls out the doctor to say how like a man to have fun while there's disaster all around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because to him, it's just another adventure. You know, it's his monster of the week. Yeah. And actually, in an episode that I've just watched that you'll be watching shortly, there's a moment as well where they call him out for enjoying it, enjoying the chaos. And him being like, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm interested. I can't help it. I know, which is fucked up, but then it's like, is it also a coping mechanism? Because if he really internalizes all the trauma in a real way, is... But, but also, like... is it not just getting used to it? Like, we talk about it, like, we have a discussion at work before where we were like, this is obviously a serious thing, but this person doesn't think it's a serious thing because they only ever see serious things. So if that is your exposure, why would you consider this to be up there? So for him... He's seen so much worse than this, and maybe this is just a fun adventure for him. Yeah. Within his frame of context. Like, for everyone else, it's the worst day of their lives, but for him, this is just a picnic in the park. Yeah, that is true, and perspective is important, but I do think then also he needs to remember that the other way around. Yeah, that it is their worst day. It is their worst day, and they haven't got the background, the coping mechanism, the perspective that he is bringing to it. And sometimes he is... Very like, dismissive. <laughs> yeah, and like a bit callous. Yeah. And definitely kind of like flip with his, oh, haha, and someone died. Yeah, like in Gridlock, you know, in season three, that first episode where he's like, I want these drugs off the streets. Like people yeah, are yeah. living a really horrible existence. And he's just like, go teetotal immediately. You guys are so weak for engaging in this drug. And again, he chooses to spend so much time with humans, dude. Like, you know what we do. You know what we're like. It's like Gandalf with the hobbits. Like Gandalf understands the hobbits. He gets that they like live life differently. I feel like the doctor should be like that with humans. He yeah. should be like, this is how, this is just the human way. This is just yeah. the hobbit way. Yeah. And it's not like he just woke up one day and met a human. He spent a lot of time with them. Yeah, it's weird. Again, doctor equals flawed. Yeah. I like that Donna, for some reason, fixates on there being a noddy and the doctor having to be like, <laughs> there is no noddy. Is noddy real? <laughs> it's very weird. Oh, I remember the thing I was going to say that was further to our lunchtime chats today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even though they decided to commit to some period dress, they still kind of did Donna dirty. Mm. She managed frumpy. And there's a lot more than just that flapper style dress in the 20s that would have really worked for her better, I think. But they just went with a really frumpy... Yeah, for context, we were discussing at lunch why Donna seems to be so frumpy. And we looked up her age and, like, Catherine Tate was 39 when they filmed these episodes, which is not old enough to look the way that they make her look. She looks like a soccer mum in her mid-50s. She looks matronly. It's really unfair. And I don't understand why they've done it. Like, even the way that they do her hair, I think, the makeup, everything about it, there's something just really off about how they dress her. And I don't understand why. I think like, it's their idea of, like, working class. Like, I get yeah. when she was, like, a temp, like, if she was dressed like a temp, but that was just her job. That's not who she is. Like, I don't understand. It, it brings up a really uncomfortable conversation to be had about women and how we see them in yeah. terms of their age. Like, are they only worthwhile when they're hot and young? And as soon as you crack 30, then suddenly you become, if you're not a mother, you enter this whole other, like, crone phase, and therefore you should be 
passed away. Like, and I just, maybe we've come a, a lot further since 2008 now that we just don't think about it this anymore. Like, I am 36. I don't yep. dress any different now than I really did when I was 24. Same. I wear the same clothes. I don't intend to change the way I dress. I have a friend who is older than me and often talks about, oh, I can't wear that anymore. I'm too old now. And I always say to her, who gives a fuck? Yeah. The only person judging you is yourself. Like, there is yeah. not some fucking chart that comes out that says how you can and can't dress. And I wonder if maybe that's just the conversation has come further and maybe this was normal when you were in your late 30s back in 2008. But it makes me very nah, sad. I don't, she deserves yeah. better. I 100% agree. And it's part of it is the age thing. But also it's just not flattering clothes nah, choices. Nah, they're like, tunics. They, yeah, or just like really too high a neckline because she's quite busty. Like it's just not... I just think that they're going very like... I think it's, and Doctor Who does this sometimes as well, it's potentially a class thing. Yeah. They're making a classism point of, like, she's not that well-dressed, you know, she's relatively common, like, common in the sense of the mm-hmm. English class common, mm-hmm. and so she's going to dress in a bit of a mere council estate way. I don't know. I feel I feel like they could have done that better, definitely. Yeah. I feel like the wardrobe does her dirty, and it distracts me sometimes from what's going on, because I'm always like, yeah. what is she wearing? And, like, what is that colour? Why is that neckline so gross? It's always that so weird gross. purple colour they put yeah, like, in. Yeah, per- like, it's like a purpley, sludgy, sometimes brownie. Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. And she has beautiful hair colour. Yeah, great. It would look so put good her in the greens. greens. Put her in, like, oh, royal blue. And just something with a different neckline. You're right. Like, yeah. nice. It's like, sometimes when it's, like... Also, really wide straps sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I think, and they've come off the back of dressing Billy Piper and Freema Gaiman, both objectively beautiful women, but also really fucking young. Yeah. Really young. So they really got the full force of mid 2000s girl next door fashion. Yeah, a lot of leather jackets and. Leather jackets, boot cut tight jeans. Tight boot cut jeans, low rise boot cut jeans. Yeah. And then I made the point earlier in our discussion about how they dressed Jackie, Rose's mum, right? Yeah. And how she was kind of dressed as like trashy. Yeah. Like an older woman, mutton dressed as lamb sort of situation, right? Like she was in velour tracksuits and midriff showing and yeah. like kind of all pink. As a very implied jokey about that as well. Like she doesn't dress her age. She doesn't dress appropriately. She doesn't behave appropriately. Yeah. Which was bullshit. And I don't think she would have been much older than... Donna's no fuck no she's meant to be because they talk about how young she was when she had Rose Rose yeah. so she's meant to be like 40 mm. max early 40s which yeah. is just like bizarre it's yeah. interesting like what we, you know you can't discount what clothes says about someone it says about a character like it's important costume design choices are important yeah fashion yeah is, like you want it's to weird. discount fashion but it says a lot about a person mm-hmm Cool. I think that was my random obsies. I really enjoyed this episode. So did I. I have very little notes actually because it's just kind of fun. Yeah. Just I, well, I just spent it. a lot of time watching yeah. rather than like noting, you know, just like really watching it. Do you have any standouts? My standout is always that scene where the doctor gets poisoned. I think it's really <laughs> good. It's yeah. The physical comedy is so on point. I think Donna cracks me up in that as well with like my housemate was watching it at the same time as me and she did not enjoy it. So she was like, why is she wasting time? Like, if he can just tell her what he wants, why doesn't he just tell her? Why is he miming? And I'm like, it's supposed to be funny. But it's a good point when he's like, I was miming salt, you know? Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. like, Harvey yeah. Wallbanger. Harvey Wallbanger. But I loved it. I think it's great. I love yeah. that chemistry between them when they're vibing off each other like that. I think it's really good. I prefer it to when they're trying to be emotional. <laughs> How about you? Did you have a standout? I think... 
the entire casting and the way she plays it and her dialogue of Agatha yeah. is great. When, you know, he's just going off on his, like, science fiction-y, future-y stuff. And she's like, again, you talk like Edward Lear. <laughs> like, it's so surrealist to her. Yeah. That she's just like, what are you up to? But again, just rolls with it as well. Yeah, she's like, real good. And, I mean, yeah, this is a version of Agatha in the writers. I don't know anything particularly about whether that's true to her personality or anything. Like, I've read a lot of her work, but don't know much about her, like, personal life. I should read a biography, actually. Mm. But yeah, no, I think it. she just really, it, they really nailed it all round. It didn't feel, like, because some of the period set ones come across a little bit like Disneyland. Schmaltzy. Disneyland and Victorian times. Like the Dickens one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so either, like, schmaltzy twee or kind of wacky. Yeah. A caricature of what their time would have been like. Yeah. And then the Shakespeare one is on the more ma- wacky end, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shakespeare is like the wacky end and they're like, we've heavily just played with historical kind of like artistic license of we've taken this person and then, and yeah, and then you have the pastiche like mm. Queen Victoria kind of like very austere, stern woman. Yeah. But this somehow finds that balance between being interesting and engaging and comedic but also, like, she comes across as a real person. Yeah. She comes across as, like, a fully formed... It's not, oh, old people from the olden days. They're not real people. Yeah. We are real people now in modern times. Yeah. Fully fleshed out. Yeah. You can believe that she is Agatha Christie and she has a life beyond this episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they do that well with the kind of wrapping up of the murder stuff actually happens quite early on in the app. Mm. Like, you know, sometimes they, like, wrap it up and there's five minutes to go and it's just a quick, like, okay, we're off in the TARDIS, Bye. But it happens earlier on because they want to kind of really pace through that, what then happens to her stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Her not having a memory and turning up and all mm. these things. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was well well executed, I thought, across the board. Cool. Sweet. So next time, we'll be watching episode eight and nine of season four. So it's a two-parter, Silence in the Library and the Forest of the Dead. You can let us know your thoughts by emailing own at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram of course, check out the show notes. There are no links. This episode. <laughs> we are just vibing. It is December. But, you know, give us a shout. Should you have any questions or concerns? I'd like to cite my brain for these thoughts. Came to me in a dream. <laughs> yeah. And this is good because we had a bit of a delay because of life. And I wrote these notes fully over two weeks ago. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're just, just vibing as we go. We remembered. It's great. Yeah. Cool. All right. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.